Thank you for joining us live. Thank you for joining us online. Welcome to the pastors that are visiting us as well. And I'll just say to those who are online, if you're a pastor that wants to come visit us, see what we're doing here at Real Men so you can go back and help your men, we would love to host you and to serve you. And for you guys, if you're new, you're in the right place. You're in the best place with the best guys. And this is the greatest place to be tonight. So my name is Pastor Mark. I'm uh, having the honor of teaching. And so the way it works, uh, on the weekend, I do a very long sermon. So if you've not been there, please come, go to the bathroom first and bring a snack. It's gonna be a while. Now what we do, we tend to go through books of the Bible. And then on Wednesday night at Real Men, I'll take a section of that same scripture that we dealt with on Sunday. And I make a, uh, a leadership application just primarily for the men. So that's what we're doing. And uh, I'll start by telling you a little bit of a story. Uh, I had a great week this last week. My oldest son got married. Uh, my son, Zach, is a great kid. He's like 6'2". I, I feel like I'm raising giraffes. I don't, I'm, I'm now in the front row of my own Christmas photo for my family. Um, and so my son is six foot two. Um, I love him with all my heart. And we've got uh, three boys, two girls. And uh, when Zach was uh, younger, um, I just saw greatness in him. But oftentimes as happens in a man or a young man, it gets misdirected. Usually a guy's weakness is his strength just misdirected. And the goal, especially when we're raising sons, is not to take the strength out of them, but to redirect it. So when he was little, um, mom would say, uh, he's really stubborn. And I'd say, yeah, praise God. That's gonna be so handy when he learns what to be stubborn about. Right now, he's just stubborn in general. So it's, you know, when they're little, it's not that helpful. You gotta redirect it. And there were times that he would argue with her. Any of you raised that kid? All my kids are attorneys. They just grew up trying to outwit me and argue. So he'd argue with his mom. She'd be like, he's so argumentative. No, 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 no. He's debating. This is a skill that if used for the kingdom of God could be very, very helpful. Or, or he could lead a cartel. I mean, this could go either way, <laughs> but this is a skill. And so what I saw in my son from a young age, I saw greatness that would get misdirected. And because I had the opportunity of being his father, uh, with God's help, we could see it redirected, redirected. So we had some of those years and discussions. And what I learned with my son, Zach, is early on, I needed to intercede for him. So I was always praying for him, interceding between him and God. And then I would literally intercede. There were times with my son that he would get really defiant, very stubborn, didn't wanna listen. Any of you raised that son? Any of you were that son? Okay, we all were. And what I found certain times is the more that I would correct him, the more he would bow up and get hard and hard. He would just get a hard heart. And so what I finally started to learn was I need to intercede for him. So I would lay hands and pray over him. I, uh, the kids growing up, they eventually called it sicking the Holy Spirit on them. That's what they called it. Like, oh, dad, you're gonna sick the Holy Spirit on me. Because as they get stubborn, I don't know where they got it, probably from Grace, pray for them. And she's working on it too. Uh, as we can all tell, I'm super flexible, easy going. So I don't know where the kids got this, but what I learned was is if I intercede for him and I bring the Holy Spirit and the presence of God in, then God redirects him. Because my goal was never to break my son, but to redirect my son. And so over the years, I love Zach with all my heart. We're real close, we've got a good relationship. And this last week was one of those amazing moments as a dad to where you realize that all the sowing eventually does produce some reaping. And so he's 21 years of age and uh, he met his uh, fiance when he was 14. They've been together seven years, still pure. So add that to the list of Jesus' miracles. And uh, he came home, he was 14. He said, dad, we need to talk because he always talks to his dad. And I said, absolutely, buddy. And I always told him of every human being on the earth, the first person in line who is for you is me. 
I'm always first in line. I'm for you, I'm here for you. So you need anything, you come tell me, talk to me, I'm here to help you. So he came and he said, dad, he was 14. Dad, I need to talk. Okay, what's up, buddy? And uh, he said, uh, I, I like a girl. And so we lived in Seattle and I was like, yes, yes, yes. He's like, dad, what? I was like, it's a girl. I mean, and when you're in Seattle, you gotta celebrate the wins. That's a really big win, right? I mean, I know California and Target don't know the difference, but dad does. And this is a big deal, okay? And so uh, I said, okay, well, what are you thinking, little buddy? He's like, well, I, I really like her. And I, I, I really, really, really like her. I said, well, you can't date. Well, first of all, you can't drive. I mean, so you, you can't date. And I said, so here's what we believe, buddy. Friendship, intentional dating, not casual. One person with a goal of seeing whether or not it's gonna go somewhere. Engagement and then marriage, that's our process. I said, so if you're gonna be friends with her, you're gonna be friends with her for a long time. And they were friends for seven years. And he navigated all of that and he honored God through it. And this week I had the honor of officiating his wedding. And there is my son who loves Jesus, serves in ministry, strong leader and a preacher. At some point you're gonna hear from him. And also uh, his now wife who also loves Jesus, serves in ministry and helped us plant the church. And they've been together for seven years. And what was one of the most amazing moments for me in the wedding is I was thinking that the following, uh, we had the wedding on Friday, I was gonna preach on Saturday and Sunday here in Romans, I was talking about intercession. When my son invited me to officiate his wedding, you know what I was doing? I was interceding. Literally, here's him, here's his wife-to-be, I'm in the middle, I'm interceding. I'm bringing them together and I'm bringing God in. I'm praying God in, God wants to be there. So we're inviting his presence. I'm bringing the word of God. I get to be the father and the pastor and I'm interceding in that moment of the wedding between my son and the father in heaven and I get to be the father on earth. And I'm interceding between my husband, or my, uh, my husband, see I'm, I'm back into my Seattle days. So it was, uh, <laughs> um, I, was, I was interceding between my son and his wife. And I was telling them what a covenant meant. And then I was using the authority given me by God to declare them to be in covenant with one another in God. And it was this sacred moment where it's like, oh, it's such an honor. It's such a blessing. It's such a privilege to be an intercessor. And so ever since he was a little boy, I got to intercede between him and God. And sometimes I would intercede between him and his mom. You ever have a boy that has a conflict with his mom? Well, let me ask you another way. You ever had a boy? Uh, they're gonna have a conflict with their mom and sometimes mom doesn't understand them, right? My wife, her, her mom had no brothers and she had no brothers. So we're, we're generations with no, no little boys. So we have boys. My wife doesn't know what a standard off the rack, normal issue boy is. So she keeps asking, is that normal? Yes, they pee in the yard. Everything's a weapon. <laughs> I would pee in the yard too, but I would get, I mean, there's a certain point where we gotta stop just because of the law, not because not we want to. You know, why is he yelling? I'm his dad, it's genetic, he's a victim. You know, it's, we gotta explain these things. So what I got to do is I got to intercede between him and his mom and say, okay, let me explain to you what he is right now. He's, he's, he's not fully cooked, give him some time. He's gonna be a grown man someday. He's gonna be a great man someday. So all through his life, I had the honor of interceding between him and God, interceding between him and his mom, as he had problems or conflicts, helping intercede. 
helping intercede between he and his fiance, and then to officiate the wedding and to stand up and to actually intercede. And I'm telling you that this ministry, this opportunity of intercession that God gives men is something particularly sacred that God gives to husbands and fathers. And we could use that to either completely break those who are under our leadership or to completely build them. And I wanna work out of Romans chapter eight on what it means to be an intercessor. And here's what he says, uh, condemning versus interceding. And this is really your only two options. Okay? When a need comes, when a problem comes, when a conflict comes, you and I, we have two choices. I'll be condemning or I'll be interceding. And I wanna work off of these two great themes. Romans 8, 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is what? Interceding for us. What he says is this, God is our father. Okay? We're always working from the fatherhood of God here. How many of you are fathers, your grandfathers, or your spiritual fathers, or your big brothers? So God is father. We failed him. We sinned against him. We, uh, we, we rebelled against him. And he had two choices. He could either condemn us or intercede for us. Okay? How many of you are glad that God chose to intercede for you instead of condemn you? We all, this is how you become a Christian. Jesus Christ comes and he intercedes. God becomes a man. God literally gets in the middle. So in becoming a man, Jesus Christ is interceding and mediating between man and God. This is where Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, there's one mediator between us and God, the man, Christ Jesus. Because he's fully God and because he became fully man, Jesus can reconcile and he can intercede and he alone can mediate. What that means is he gets in the middle so that the relationship can be reconciled and restored. Here's the big idea. You have two choices. You can condemn or you can have a relationship. You can't have both. If God condemned us, we wouldn't have a relationship with him because he interceded for us through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. As a result of him interceding for us, we have a relationship. And the reason why men oftentimes struggle, sometimes men feel like, I don't know why I don't have good relationships. I don't know why my wife and I aren't getting along. I don't know why my kids and I aren't getting along. I don't know why I'm lonely. I don't, I don't, I don't know why people disown me or turn their back on me. It may be because you're condemning and you can't condemn and have a relationship. And if you don't have good relationships, the problem might be the condemning. So what he asks is, who is there to condemn? So let's, let's throw this out. Who are the people in your life, our life, that can condemn us? Who are the condemners? Sometimes wife, sometimes boss. The pastor, you're welcome, brother. It's my second spiritual gift. Um, anybody else condemn? You can condemn yourself. How many of you, Jesus died for something, God forgave you, and you're still hammering yourself for something that was already nailed at the cross of Jesus? You can, you can, you can absolutely condemn yourself. Who else? Satan and demons are always trying to condemn, accuse, just absolutely destroy you. Sometimes your kids come up and they've got hurt or bitterness and they're just gonna unload on you, especially if you've had some failures as a husband or a father, and they're gonna let you know about those. Add to that, the world that we live in is filled with mockers. The Bible has nothing good to say about mockers. Mockers are people who see a problem and they exploit it at your expense and they'll do so in a joking way, which is really just a mocking way. 
Some of you grew up in homes where if you ever did anything bad, that was what was going to be the topic of discussion and you're gonna get made fun of. And sometimes what the mockers do, they're gonna name you. So what we do when we condemn someone, uh, we give them a name and we give names to the people we love the most and the people we hate the most. And if you condemn someone, you name them. And what you're doing, you're putting a curse over them and you no longer have to deal with them as a human being. They're just, that's the idiot, that's the ex, you know, that's whomever, whatever. They're no longer a person. They're now codified into an identity that is fixed and unchangeable. There's no hope for them. It's over, they're condemned. And we live in this world where it is constantly condemning. And we now live in a world that has cancel culture that is made condemning into a public art form. So let me say this about men and condemning. Number one, the default position of men is to condemn. In our fallen sinful nature, that's our default. Because as men, we are created by God to see problems and to render verdicts. That's what leaders do. But men are conditioned from an early age to be condemning. How many of you, you had a coach that was really a condemner. You had a teacher who was really a condemner. You had a dad who was really a condemner. We're conditioned from youth to find problems, to find faults, and rather than bring solutions, to bring criticisms. We're just conditioned to that from young men. And many of us then as young men, we're under the condemner and our goal one day is to grow up and what? Be the condemner. Well, my dad hammered me someday. I'm gonna be the one who is the hammer, not the nail, right? My boss used to hammer me. One day I'll be the boss, I'll be the the hammer, not the nail. So what a lot of boys do, young men do, they grow up in a condemning environment and rather than learning from that and changing that, they just sort of wait until they're big enough to then be the one who condemns. And you can sense this as a man in your own soul. Sometimes you find yourself saying things that your dad said. You're like, I don't know why I said that or doing things that your dad did. And it's you just taking on a generational curse to where there was a condemner who was head of household and you lived under the condemnation and now you have risen up to replace him and now you're the next generation's curse and condemner. And this is what generational curses are. They go down from one generation to another. And oftentimes it's a young boy who's in an abusive situation or a negligent situation or an unhealthy situation. And then he just bides his time to then rinse and repeat what he learned from his old man. Number two, um, men hate being condemned, especially in front of others. True? How many of you, if your wife is gonna criticize you. And all condemnation is, condemnation is criticism that is unchangeable. Criticism is you have a problem. Condemnation is you are a problem. If you have a problem, you can work on that. If you are a problem, there's no hope for you. And so how many of you, you really don't like being condemned, particularly in front of others, right? How many of you, your wife strategically picks a fight when there are witnesses? I always tell this to the ladies. If you pick a fight with your husband, you put him in a lose-lose situation because if he responds, he's mean. And if he doesn't, he's weak. It's a lose-lose. This is where if a wife condemns you in front of the kids, it's a lose-lose. And she is conditioning and discipling the children to dishonor their father, which ultimately leads to them dishonoring her. She's sewing off the branch that you're both sitting on and that's the branch of honor and respect. 
Men grow up in a culture of criticism and what young boys do, we condemn and criticize one another because we're highly competitive. And what happens then is as we get older, we really despise being criticized and or condemned in the presence of others, okay? So what I tell our team is, good news can be publicly shared, bad news needs to be privately shared. If you wanna take family meeting, something good, right? If you're gonna deal with somebody who's really amiss, pull them aside privately. So bad news is private, good news is public. So even with my team or with my sons, all right, closed door meeting, come in, we gotta have a talk, this is gonna be hard. This is gonna be like halftime at the football game where the coach is in the locker room, uh, but they, we're not putting this on the loudspeaker. This is not for the fans, this is for the team. And this is to not condemn you, but to coach you. And the difference between a coach and a critic is not what they see, it's what they say. What a, what a condemner will do, what a critic will do, they'll point out what you've done, but they won't tell you how to fix it. A coach will point out what you've done and then they'll help you to fix it, okay? And so if you're doing it publicly, if you're condemning or criticizing publicly, you're not coaching. Criticism that is public is not coaching, it is condemning. Okay. Criticism that is private can be coaching, but men hate to be criticized and condemned publicly. True or false? We hate that. Men will avoid entire environments or atmospheres where they feel like they could be open to condemnation. That's why some guys don't go home. After work, they're like, why don't you ever come home? Well, I'm working late. And what you're doing is you're avoiding the environment that you refuse to be in because it feels like a lose-lose scenario. This is why some guys take jobs that intentionally keep them on the road and away from home. When I go home, the wife starts condemning me, then the kids echo mom, I don't like the environment, so I avoid it. Number three, men over time who condemn, they move to contempt. This is just an observation. How many of you know in your soul when you've reached contempt for another man? You've lost all respect for him. You've basically lost all hope for him and you're just freaking done with him. You're just done. Men can sniff contempt like a drug dog at the airport. One man can sniff contempt in another man. True? If you're with a guy and you feel like he's got contempt for me, that's the last guy on earth you're gonna spend any time with. You're gonna quit your job. You're gonna move away from your dad. You are literally going to do all that you can to avoid being put in that situation. And what happens is if others know that we can criticize them and then it moves to condemning them, then it moves to contempt for them, okay? I just thought of this. It moves from criticism to condemnation to contempt. Once it reaches contempt, the relationship is over. True? If, some, if somebody says, I'm frustrated with you, okay, we can work that through. If somebody says, I have lost all respect for you as a man, that's, that's catastrophic. That's catastrophic. So what he's doing here for us, he's saying relationships should be based upon how our relationship is built with God. And this is how God the Father, God the Son has a relationship with us. So this is as men, the prototype for how we have relationships. And he told us in chapter eight, verse 27, 
that, quote, the Spirit intercedes for us. And he tells us here at 834, Christ Jesus is interceding for us, okay? So if you want a relationship with someone, you need to invite the Holy Spirit to be interceding for you and them, and then ask Jesus to be interceding for you and them. And then you need to bring them and their needs to the Father because the Father is the one who is ultimately available to help. So again, make it real clear. Somebody fails you, somebody sins against you, somebody disappoints you, somebody bows up against you, somebody disappoints you, somebody frustrates you. You have to think, am I going to condemn them or intercede for them? Okay? And the difference again, between the person who condemns and the person who intercedes is not what they see, it's what they say. They both agree that there's a problem, but the how they respond to it is very differently. Okay, very, very differently. Is this making sense? You're very quiet. Very quiet, okay. So let me say this. Um, when someone is offending you, disappointing you, frustrating or hurting you, the first question I want you to ask is this. Is this a sin or is this a mistake? What's the difference? Jesus died for sins, human beings will make mistakes. And the problem is that sometimes as men, we condemn people for things that were mistakes and weren't even sins. We're condemning people for things that Jesus wasn't even condemned for. He didn't die for those things because they're not sins, they're just mistakes. So when my kids were little, how many of you, let's just go to the dad hat. How many of you, when your kids are little, they say and do things that just annoy you, frustrate you. They break things, they spill things, they ruin things, they wreck things, amen? amen. How, sometimes it's a sin, right? Sometimes it's just, a, it's just a mistake. They didn't mean to spill, they're just little, they, they spilled. How many of you raised a kid that was just super clumsy? I won't name a kid, I had one kid, Literally, they were like a very small drunk pirate. I mean, they just, they would be standing there and then just fall over. I mean, literally, I was like, what is up with this kid? They would break, one day I was just watching, I was like, I was like, so how's your day at school? Fine, boom, lamp up against the wall, kid sideways, coffee table upside down. I was like, do we need to drug test you? You're six, what happened? They're like, I don't know. I was like, okay, is that a sin or a mistake? It's a mistake if dad does that after six whiskeys. Sin, not a mistake. Come on, brother. <laughs> so just because we're annoyed doesn't mean it's a sin. Just because it's a problem doesn't mean it's a sin. Just because we're frustrated doesn't mean it's a sin. When he says that Jesus intercedes for us, that means that he lived and died in our place for our sins. But again, why would we be crucifying people for mistakes if Jesus wasn't crucified? or just imperfections of humanity, okay? So I always ask, was it a sin or a mistake? Because how many times have you condemned someone and what they did wasn't even a sin? So first time I thought this lesson, it comes to mind, we uh, with five kids, my wife drives a Suburban and uh, my son, Calvin, uh, he's now six foot one, he's 19 years of age, great kid. So I bought him one of those little plastic electric Jeeps. I had a black Jeep and he wanted a little boy Jeep. And they just put in a Krispy Kreme like half a mile from our house. And I'm up above the garage in my study and I hear the, the hard uh, wheels of the rubber Jeep, the plastic Jeep going down the, the road. Clunk, 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 clunk. So I look out and there's like this five-year-old kid in his red Jeep heading 
to Krispy Kreme. <laughs> like half a mile, you know, on a, on, a, on a main arterial roadway. And I come running out, it's like, Calvin, what are you doing? He's like, dad, they opened the Krispy Kreme. I was like, son, I know. He's like, you took me in the Jeep and I saw the Jeep and I thought, we take Jeeps to Krispy Kreme, that's what we do. I was like, son, no, you can't do this alone. You're, you're, you're like five, you can't just get in your plastic Jeep and go to Krispy Kreme, okay? So I come in and I tell Grace and she's like, are you gonna discipline him? Hey, was it a sin or a mistake? It was a mistake. His dad told him, hey, it's awesome to go to Krispy Kreme in the Jeep. And he's like, I got a Jeep and I love my dad. My dad had a great idea. He's, he, he's, He's not doing the math right, but you know, it's not a sin. Now, once I told him, you are not allowed to take your plastic Jeep on the highway. Once I told him, if he did it then, what is it? Then it's a sin, okay? Then it's a sin, because now he's dishonoring his father. He's disobeying his father. So my wife is like, you're gonna discipline? I was like, no, I'm not gonna discipline him. It was a mistake, it was not a sin. And now he knows and he did, he's a good boy, he obeyed. He didn't try to go to Krispy Kreme again. So then I realized my kids are, we live near a busy street. Part of this is my duty as a dad. I, I, I'm frustrated that they're getting off property. I need to put a fence up. This is what God does with his laws in the Bible. His laws are dad's version of the fence to keep the kids from harm's way. That's what God's laws are. So I got one of these big long rolling gates because we had this big driveway. I got it installed. Grace jumped in the Suburban and was backing out, didn't see it. We literally had the fence for like 15 minutes. I just spent thousands of dollars on this fence. I'm again up in my study. Now I pulled the fence and I didn't tell Grace. Okay, so full disclosure, Grace, Grace, I always put her in big vehicles because she drives fast and dangerous. And if she gets in a collision, I want her to win. That's my girl. <laughs> she's always had a V8. We've always done an LS motor for Grace and a full truck frame. That's all she's ever driven. And so she backs out 100 miles an hour because she's always running late. She's born late, hasn't caught up. It's not her fault. She's a victim, pray for both of us. She's backing out of the driveway, 100 miles an hour, boom, right into the fence. I, I, I'm up above the garage, I look out. I was like, I put the fence up to keep Calvin in. And now Grace ran the fence over. Like this fence is, I'm complicated. The whole fence is bowed. So my wife can't see me. She doesn't know that I'm watching. So. My wife is now gonna atone for her sin. So what she does, she gets my truck, not her Suburban, my old Chuck the truck, my 1976 beat up Chevy Silverado. She starts it, she goes on the outside and she hits the fence this way with my truck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, okay, so I don't know why I'm telling you this, maybe just cause you could pray for your pastor and his wife. So. I'm watching this and I'm thinking, okay, this is, where I this is where like Jesus, I come down and get involved. So I came down out of the office and I walk up to Grace and she's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I told her, I said, honey, um, you, you, I just bought the fence and you hit it with two cars. <laughs> and one of them was mine. <laughs> my wife looked at me and she said, well, was it a sin or a mistake? See, this is, this is, this is where if you give, if you, if you theologically train your family, they're like ninjas, they're gonna, they're gonna turn on you. And I looked at her and I said, I said, I should have told you that I did, that I pulled a gate and I didn't. I said, so it wasn't a sin, it was a mistake. It's a mistake, okay. True or false, I'm still frustrated. 
<laughs> I could never, my, my fence never rolled again. I wasted thousands of dollars. There are things in life as men that are gonna be frustrating. They're gonna be annoying. They're gonna break. They're gonna be expensive. It's not gonna work. That's not what I wanted. But those aren't sins. Sometimes they are mistakes. Now, what if I told Grace, hey, I pulled the fence and let's say she just decided she hated me. And so she ran into the fence to spite me. Sin or mistake? Whiskey. Okay, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's a sin. Oftentimes though, we get frustrated by what happens, but we're not looking at the heart to see was that a mistake or was that a sin? And oftentimes whether it was a sin or mistake is really in the heart. That's where the Bible says that man looks at the outward, God looks at the heart, okay? My son, he, he, he didn't know. And once he knew, he adjusted. My, my wife didn't know, once she knew, she, she apologized. So my first question is always, is it a sin or a mistake? Because some of you as men, you know the pain of this from those who were in authority over you. You got condemned for something. You're like, it wasn't even a sin. It's just a mistake. You know, I, I, I messed up, but Jesus didn't die for it. I, you know, I, I went to gas up the car and I turned it around and I didn't see the pole and I was 16 and I wrapped it around and sorry, dad, I dented your door telling you what happened to me. Okay, it's a mistake. Second question is, um, was it a sinner mistake? And the second question is, how will you respond? And again, when you're frustrated, you're agitated, are you gonna condemn or are you gonna intercede? Let's be honest as men, is our first instinct to condemn or intercede? Condemn. This is the fleshly default of the man. Okay? And when you tell a guy this, here's what the guy usually says. He's like, well, I'm just telling the truth. Right, but you're not helping. Satan can tell the truth and Jesus tells the truth and he helps. Okay, so let me give you a little correlation. Condemn starts with them, start interceding, you start with God. So when it says in Romans 8, 34, that Jesus intercedes for us, what that means is he talks to the father before he talks to you. He doesn't start with you. He starts with the father. He's like, okay, father, here's what we're dealing with. I'm gonna go send the Holy Spirit to talk to him. So let's game plan this, coach me up, and then I'll give instructions to the Holy Spirit, and boom, he's gonna deliver the information, and uh, we're gonna speak to that person about whatever the issue is. As men, the biggest problem we have, and what gets us on the road from, from rather than interceding to condemning, is rather than talking to him first, we talk to them first. How many of you, you're frustrated with your wife? You've learned. She's the second person you should talk to about your frustration. Who's the first person? Her father. <laughs> okay. Your kid's driving you nuts. Is your kid the best person to talk to first? Nope. Go talk to your father. Go talk to their father. Process it with him. Get coached up by him. Calm down with him. And then intercede for them. So condemning is you did something. I'm gonna talk to you. Interceding is you did something. I'm gonna to talk to him. I'm gonna figure out what I'm supposed to say and how I'm supposed to say it. And then I'm gonna to talk to you. Does this make sense? This is a skill set that as men, we are not naturally hardwired with. We are not, we are counter punchers by nature. You did something, I'm coming back. No, no, you did something, I'm gonna to go to him and figure out what he wants me to do. Another one. When you condemn someone, the person is the problem. When you intercede for someone, a person has a problem. 
okay? This is where, um, if the person is the problem, there's no solution for them. If the person has a problem, then there is a solution for them. And this is sometimes where we, again, we use pejorative negative nicknames, and this is how you know you're condemning someone. So let's just do this. How many of you, you had a very condemning nickname that was put over you as an identity? What was it? Numb nuts. <laughs> sorry for you and both of them. I'm sorry about that, but uh, numb nuts. Does that, does that mean you have a problem or you are the problem? You are the problem, okay? How many of you are glad right now you're not on line? <laughs> so what else? What other negative nicknames are put on you? Face. What's that? Face. Face? Face. So just negativity in that regard? Yeah, like oh, you'd always do this to you, like face? What else? Jughead. Jughead? Another head that I won't say because we're on the internet, Richard. So, um, okay. <laughs> Got to be quick at this job. All right. What other negative names are put over you? Good for nothing. Good for nothing. Is that someone who has a problem or someone who is a problem? You are a problem. You're good for nothing. And what that means is everything you do is wrong or bad. And even if you do something right, it's only a matter of time before you screw it up, okay? And as men, what happens? We grow up in an environment of condemnation and then we grow up and we create environments of condemnation, okay? And when you're condemning, the person is the problem. When you're interceding, you're distinguishing between the person and the problem, and you're inviting God to help get the problem separated from the person, okay? This is ultimately what God is gonna do with us at the resurrection of the dead. He's gonna separate the person from all the problems. That's what he's doing. Next one, uh, to condemn is to criticize and to intercede is to coach. How many of you, a, a critic literally just shoots you and walks away and a coach comes along and helps you try again, okay? So as a, as a let me just say this, uh, I'll be real honest with you. I'm a lot better at this with my kids than my wife. Anybody else relate to that? With my kids, my kids actually get the best version of me. My kids will say, my dad is loving and kind and patient and coaches and encouraging and blesses. And not everyone who's ever met me would say that. Okay, don't laugh. Um, it's not that obvious. And so my kids, I tend to do very well with the coach hat, but then with my wife, I find myself defaulting to the critic hat. And so my kids sometimes get a grace that my grace doesn't get. So my wife one time asked me, she's like, how do I get in the same category as the kids? I said, what do you mean, honey? She said, well, I wanna be treated the way you treat them. She's like, you're, you're a lot better, you're, you're a lot you know, more of a coach, to use that language, to them. You're more of a critic to me, okay? And how many of you are like me? I'm the guy with the critical eye. I always see what's missing or wrong, always. I can read a theological book and I can show you the error. 
I can read a commentary and show you the one scripture that was misappropriated. I can walk into the room and see the one thing that is out of order. I can walk into an organization and I can see the one area that has been overlooked and neglected. That's why buying this old building gives me a nervous eye twitch and drives me crazy because everywhere I go, there's something wrong and it needs to be fixed. Okay, I'm the guy with a critical eye. And so for my wife, she felt like she was living with her critic. And what a critic does, a critic points out all of the things you've done wrong and a coach is the one who helps you to do right. And when you're interceding, you're coaching. When you're condemning, you're just criticizing. Next one. When you condemn someone, you beat them down. And when you intercede, you build them up. Your relationship with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, Romans 8.34, Romans 8.27, is where the, the Lord Jesus came down not to build you, not to beat you down, but to build you up, literally. He took the beating so you could get the blessing. And the Holy Spirit comes to empower you, to equip you, to comfort you, to strengthen you, to bring out the best version of you. So when God intercedes for us, it's to build us up. And when someone comes to condemn you, all they're doing is beating you down. How many of you, there are certain people either in your past or your present, when they approach you, your stomach immediately begins to churn and drop. And it's like, what did I do now? Because the only time I hear from you is when I've screwed up. That's what we're gonna talk about, okay? The coach is the person who, how many of you have had a really good coach in sports at some point? We've all had a bad coach too. The worst coach is just the critic. Catch the stinking ball. Like, I, I would like to, tell me how. I don't know apparently what to do with the glove, <laughs> right? Hit the ball, I'm, I'm trying. Like I, I, could you give me any more advice, right? We've all been at those games where the critic is the coach and all they're doing is yelling at the kids, not coaching them. Many guys have lived in an environment where they're just being criticized and not coached. And as a result, they become critics and not coaches. Another one, what happens when you condemn someone? You abandon them, you walk away. You are an idiot, you screwed that up. You, and then we walk away, okay? What happens instead with an intercessor, they draw near to you, they draw near to you. True or false, the Lord Jesus came down to draw near to us. That's why he came down. True or false, the Holy Spirit was sent down to draw near to us, to draw near to us. And so what happens is, if, if you wanna condemn someone, you don't need to even be in relationship with them. To intercede for someone, you need to be in relationship with them. So what happens is a critic and a coach will see the same thing. The, 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 the critic walks away and the coach draws near. That's the difference. And let me give you a little secret in raising sons. Um, I learned a, a secret with my sons. Before I coach them, I need to touch them. Literally with my sons, I would walk up, I'd put an arm around them. Now they're big, so I can do this you know, here before I, I touch them, you know, affectionate touch. With one of my sons, he was more the, he would bow up. If I, if I came at him, he's coming back. He's fight or flight, he never heard of flight. He didn't even know that was a possibility. It's fight and fight. So if I come at him, he's coming at me. So what I learned was rub his back, give him a hug, put an arm around him. All right, buddy, let me, let me talk to you about something. Let dad help you here. As long as I touched him and he knew that I was there to love him, 
he would listen and let me coach him. But I needed to literally, I needed to physically, when the Bible talks about the laying on of hands, it's not this, it's this, okay? This is condemning, this is interceding, it's interceding. Lay my hand on my son, he'd listen to me. Even this week we were at his wedding, my oldest son. And I walked up and I just wanted to give him a little advice. And I, he's tall, so I gotta do this. And he looks at me and says, I love you, dad. What do you need to tell me? He knows, that, because I've been doing this since he was a little boy. I'm gonna draw near to you. I'm gonna rub your back. I'm gonna tell you I'm proud of you. And I'm gonna give you some coaching. I rubbed his back. My six foot two son looks at me, he's like, all right, dad, what do you need to tell me? Praise God, it took years to build that trust. And the last one, if you condemn someone, it's hopeless. And this is where we use words like all or never. You know you're condemning someone when you use words like all or never. You always, you never, you only. It's just hopeless. And interceding is hopeful. Well, here's where we're at, but that's gonna change. Okay? And that's where he's echoing Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I was thinking about it as I was praying for you, um, as, I, as I wrap this up. Um, when you have a relationship with someone that you're condemning them, you case build. Meaning you've rendered a verdict that they are the problem and they are hopeless. And then all data gets entered in through that filter to that file. How many of you, you had a relationship like that, maybe with your dad or a coach or a boss? Everything you ever did wrong, they kept a record of wrongs, what the Bible says not to do. And anytime you did something, it was just added to the file. That's case building. It is, you are an idiot. And next time you do something stupid, I'm gonna put it in the file and remind you that you're an idiot. You are a failure. I've condemned you. I've named you. I've now put an identity on you. I prophesied doom over your life. And now, Anytime you do something that's a failure, I'm going to put it in the file and name it, and I'm going to build a case. When we get into those kinds of relationships, eventually they break us and we leave those relationships, okay? And let me say that this is the default in a fallen man's soul, okay? And I will tell you in my life, this is a constant intentional needing to always remind myself of this because in my flesh, my first instinct is condemn, not intercede. Tell you what I think, not ask him how I should react, okay? How many of you, this makes sense? Does this make sense? Condemning or interceding. So what does interceding look like? Let me make it very practical. You're praying for them. When you see problems, you're talking to God before you're talking to them. Before you engage them, you speak with him and you sort of game plan with your father. You get coached by him. Okay, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to deal with this? What I'm not talking about is men who are cowards and avoid conflict. I'm talking about men who are stewards that go ask the father what he wants them to do before they just go off emotionally. And uh, I'll just be totally honest and then I'll give you some discussion questions and pray. Um, my wife is teaching the women in the back right now. And this week, she feels condemned by me. There's something that we need to work out. It's not catastrophic. It's one of those things in a marriage where you're like, can we just 
do this differently. That won't, it's not, it's not disqualifying, it's not catastrophic, but it's, a, it's like a rock in your shoe that's been there since the 80s. <laughs> okay. Okay. So you were there in the 80s. Okay. Um, and I addressed it with her. And what she said was, she said, I just, I just feel condemned by that. And I thought, crap. Or scuba loss, to quote the Greek. Um, <laughs> I understand what this is, interceding. But apparently with my wife, I'm struggling for her to experience it through me. So I covenant with you as men. I'm not standing here saying, like Jesus, I figured this out. You boys catch up. I'm saying, I'm, I'm with you, not with him. And I'm with you learning how to be like him. And so I need to go home tonight and repent to my wife and own some things and intercede and pray and do things differently. We need to talk about a couple of things, but the way I did it to her didn't sound like interceding and I was bringing her to her father. It sounded like condemning and I was pushing her down to the enemy. And that's what condemning does. It pushes you down. What interceding does, it pulls you up. And so for those of you that have suffered under condemning, I'm sorry. For those of us who are condemning, it's a good time to repent so that others don't have the same pain that we endured, amen? And as men, we have great power, we have great power. Discussion questions. Do you honestly see God more as condemning or interceding for you? That's the big one. Your view of God determines how you're gonna be as a man. Number two, who in your life has been a good intercessor? Who's like, they pray for me, they bring resources, they bring help, they bring wisdom. Who do you struggle to intercede for rather than condemn? And then how can we pray for you? And I'll pray for you right now. Father God, thanks for an opportunity to teach the men. And Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit, we thank you that you don't condemn, you intercede. And that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so God, as men, we just confess, condemning is our default and interceding is a supernatural activity for which we need the miracle of the Holy Spirit to make us like Jesus. And God, as a man who is personally convicted of this, not that I have arrived and I, I, I need to go home tonight and do better with my girl, who I love with all my heart and she deserves the best. Uh, God, I know that she's your daughter. And so I wanna meet with her father before I meet with his daughter. And I wanna figure out how to intercede best for her. And so I pray for us as men, husbands and fathers, that we would learn this supernatural skill of Jesus to be interceders and not condemners in Jesus' good name, amen.